0: If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it now, and we're going to turn to the book of Colossians. It's in the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. As you're turning there, I have a question, Um, when you think about babies, little babies, What are the words that you use to describe them? So maybe this sentence. That baby is so cute. That's kind of the first one that comes to my mind. What other words do you use? Noisy. (laughs) Come on, Esther. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That baby is precious. precious. Adorable. That's the one I was looking for, Josie. You get a prize afterwards. No, not really. Um, Adorable. Isn't that a great word to describe... A baby, you know, you, when, when you're new parents, you just can't help it. Look at that baby and, 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 uh, everything that the child does is, is cute and you record everything, you know. I mean, look, she smiled. And, um, my sister-in-law, Gabriel and her husband, Victor, they just had their second child. It was early yesterday morning and she is adorable. And, and my daughter, who tomorrow will be four years old, four years, ago tomorrow she was born and when she was born she was adorable and and 32 years ago this christmas day i was born and i was almost 10 pounds and i was absolutely adorable <laughs> and you all were adorable when you were born but here's here's the interesting thing the angels didn't announce my birth or noel's birth or anyone else's Birth. And and no wise men traveled for days to, to give you gifts, and there isn't a holiday that's recognized worldwide as your birthday. We were all adorable, but only Jesus is worthy of the greatest admiration and adoration in the world. He alone is worthy of worship. So why is Jesus so adorable? And I don't mean that in kind of the, the cutesy sense, but why is He worthy of adoration? What what causes us to be filled with with love for Christ? To to be filled with awe, with with worship. Why at Christmas do we sing songs that say things like, "Oh, come, let us adore Him"? Or, or we sing songs. Last week we sang, "Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ, the newborn King." Why why do we do that? I want us to pause and to just meditate, to think hard on who Jesus is and why He is worthy of worship. And worthy of worship not simply at, at Christmas time, but, but every day and with all of our lives. For many of you, I'm going to share something that, that's probably familiar. That no, nothing extremely new. But I find that, that Christmas is a time to remember things that we forget. It's a, it's a time to go back to things that that you do over and over again, but you think deeply about it every time. I mean, I watch the same Christmas movies every year, How the Grinch Stole Christmas and, and White Christmas, and It's it's a Wonderful Life, and A Christmas Carol. I've got it nearly memorized. I watch it all the time, but it's, I, I watch it with new eyes every time, I feel like uh, I'm compelled every December to to open those DVDs and and put them back in. I'm compelled to to open the same books and to read them again, to read the same passages of of scripture and to to think the same thoughts and traditions. I mean, isn't Christmas all about traditions, doing the same things over and over again? And and, and so this is nothing new, but but this morning my hope is that through God's word and by the the power of his spirit we could we could hold up the beauty of Christmas, the, the miracle of what Christmas is the deep truths that we celebrate, to just hold them up one more time and to remember why Jesus is worthy of worship. Of course, I say that this is something that is familiar to us all, but maybe for you this is going to be unique. This, this morning, this this might be something new to you. It might, you might have never really heard this or really truly heard what the message of Christmas is and who jesus is it may be that god in his kindness this morning he's just going to blind you with a vision for who he is and for what he has done at christmas i pray that that would happen i pray that you would see him exalted as the king of all creation and as as the lord of of salvation that you would just catch this new glimpse of the miracle of christmas and and like the shepherds and like the wise men you would fall on your face and worship i pray that that would be the response of us all that we would worship christ this morning Why is he worthy of worship and adoration? That's what we're going to think on. And we're going to find it in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. And some people say that these verses, verses 15 through 20, were in fact a a hymn of the early church. Maybe written by Paul, maybe written by someone else and used by Paul. Maybe kind of a, a combination where he took to him and tweaked it a little bit. But, but whatever it is, it's a song of praise to who Jesus is. Let's read these words together and think on them. Verse 15, He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. Why is Jesus worthy of worship and adoration? I want us to think first from just verses fifteen through seventeen, because of who He is. He's worthy because of of who He is. We can summarize this verse verses fifteen through seventeen by saying that that Jesus, that Paul holds up Jesus as the Lord of all creation. Jesus is the Lord of all creation. Jesus is praised as the firstborn. You see that there in. Verse 15, He is the firstborn of all creation. Now this phrase actually causes some, some issues for people. The firstborn. It's a phrase that's, that's actually often used to deny the deity of Jesus Christ. When I say deity, what I mean is that, that Jesus was in fact God. So if I use that phrase deity, we're saying the deity of Jesus is, that Jesus is God. But people use this to, to deny that. Uh, what is this verse saying? Is it saying that Jesus is another created being? He's the firstborn of all creation. This is, in fact, what what um, Jehovah's Witnesses or, or Mormons would say is true—that that He is a, a created being. Is that what this verse is saying? Well, it's not really just a modern issue with with certain religions, but it's actually something that's been an issue within the church for centuries. And way back in in the 300s, there was this group. There was this controversy with this group called the Arians. And this guy named Arius was was saying that that Jesus was in fact created by God, and there was this big controversy, that the Arian controversy, and they dealt with this in, the, in a council where all the the leaders of the church gathered together in Nicaea, and and from that council we have something called the Nicene Creed of of three twenty five. This is pretty old stuff. They were dealing with it way back then, and this is a statement of the core beliefs of Christianity. This is what it says: We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Begotten of the Father as only begotten. That is from the essence of the Father. God from God. Light from light. True God from true God. Begotten not created of the same essence as the Father. Did that sound familiar to you? You, you sang those words this morning, if you sang. I didn't pull my bolt out, I pulled something else out. The, the words there were, it, it, it's, it may have sounded weird to you to, to sing those phrases, but it says there, O come all ye faithful, true God of true God, light from light eternal. Lo, he shuns not the virgin's womb. Son of the Father, begotten, not created. Th- those are purposeful words to show that Jesus truly is God. And they were hammered out way back in the council of Nicaea. I know I've shared this before, but legend has it that St. That Nicholas was there. The, the true St. Nicholas, the original St. Nicholas, was there at the council of Nicaea. Isn't that interesting to think about? And it says actually that the debate, that people say that the debate got so heated that St. Nicholas actually hit in the face because he was denying the deity of Jesus Christ way to go Santa right I mean uh, holding forth that's right holding forth standing forth on, on the truth of what the true meaning of Christmas is that Jesus is God so what is what does this verse mean that he is the the firstborn the word firstborn doesn't have reference to do with with being the firstborn Thing that's created with birth order, meaning that he's the, the first part of creation, but rather his status, that, that he is exalted above creation. What Paul is saying that he is, ex- is exalted in his status with reference to creation. We can know that for sure because of what the rest of these verses say, verses 16 through 17. They give us five things about how Jesus is not part of creation, but he is in fact exalted above creation. Uh, the first one is right there in verse uh, sixteen. For by him all things were created; all things have been created in reference to him. The focus here is, is is general. It's that everything has been created by God through Jesus. And and Paul goes. You get some some couplets here. Um, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So things we can see and things that we cannot see, things in heaven and things. On Earth, so God is the maker of everything that we see: the sun, the the moon, and the stars, the the clouds that we see swirling around us, that wind. I was out in that wind last night. God is the creator of that. He is. He's the one who made the grass and the trees and the lakes and the seas and the, and the water that's that's in them. He he made the the huge blue whales and and the bald eagle that you see in the in the sky, and he made strange things like Komodo dragons. God is the the, the maker of those. He made deer. He made those lousy squirrels that eat my garden every year he made ants and and he made mold and he made everything in between he's the creator of everything that we see but not only is he the creator of everything that we see but he's also the creator of innumerable things that we have never seen of angelic beings that's what this this reference to here is thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities it's a hierarchy of 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 created of of angelic beings both. Good and evil, probably. And God is the creator of them all. Things that we have never even, we can't even describe because we've we've never seen. God has has created them all. All things have been created in reference to Him. But, but next, all things have been created through Him. That's the end of verse 16. All things were created through Him. In other words, Christ, Jesus, is the instrumental cause, the one who actually created all things. We, we might say that that Jesus is the artist of creation. That that it's formed in in his mind, whatever that might mean, and then he he forms it in reality. Of course, he didn't have clay or marble that he chiseled it out of. He he, he formed it from nothing. But he's the artist of creation. He, everything is made through him. He's the beginning of creation, but he's also the end of creation. That's the next thing we see. All of it, all things have been created for him. They've been created through him and for him. Verse sixteen says, "So the the world that we see, it it, it um." The, the world that we see and the world we do not see have been, are, and will always be for the glory of Jesus. That's why these things were created. They weren't created to be worshipped themselves, but created so that we would worship Jesus, to bring praise and honor to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All that we see is to be this neon sign pointing to the glory of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul, what we read this morning, right at the beginning, Romans eleven thirty three through thirty six says, "Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments! How inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been His counselor? Who has who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Therefore, to Him be the glory." forever and ever. All things were created for Him, for His glory. Not only that, but verse the fourth thing we see, He existed before all things. It says in verse 17, and He is before all things, meaning that, that He existed before anything else. This is what you call the, the pre-existence of Christ. He wasn't created, He existed before everything, and He was not created. There has never been a time when Christ was not. Try to wrap your mind around that. Not for too long you'll get a headache. But he, he is exalted above everything. He's exalted even above time itself. He existed before it. And then fifth, all things are held together by him. That's the end of verse 16. No, I'm sorry, verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Christ is actively holding all things together. And if if Christ is not on his throne, then the molecules that make up everything that we see... And, and, and we ourselves, if he's not on his throne holding it together, then everything falls apart. He is sustaining the whole earth, the whole universe. God holds all things together. Therefore, Jesus is the Lord of all creation. He is exalted above creation. The combined force of these statements say not only is the, he the Lord of all creation, but he is God. He is God himself, true God of true God, begotten Not created. And yet, and yet, being all that he is, here's the miracle of Christmas, he becomes a created being. He's not created, but he becomes a human being. He becomes a baby. This is how I read it to my kids the other night in the Jesus Storybook Bible, Sally Lloyd-Jones. She says, the God who flung the planets into space and sent them whirling around and around, the God who made the universe with just a word, the one who could do anything at all, was making himself small. I love that thought. And coming down as a baby. And as a baby, he lost none of his deity. He's still God. But he became for us the image of the invisible God. Isn't that amazing? Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Creation shows us who God is. Romans 1 tells us that it's it's a display of His invisible attributes, but Jesus, Jesus is the great explanation of who God is. He is the image of the invisible God. So God who is invisible is seen in Jesus. All that you ever want to know about who God is, is found in the person of Jesus Christ. He comes, and He comes in, in human flesh. And therefore, he and he alone is worthy of worship. This was something Paul was trying to teach the Colossians. They were getting caught up in worshiping other things, worshiping angels and, and, and whatnot. And, and he's saying that Jesus alone is worthy of worship. I think this is something we need to think about, especially this time of year. We, we don't worship this holiday. We don't worship the gifts. We don't worship the, the warm feeling that this season brings us. We worship Jesus. That's who we are called to worship. And and then you think about the Christmas story, and there's all these wonderful players in the Christmas story. And and we can learn from them all. We can learn from Joseph's obedience. We can learn from Mary's humility. We can learn from the the shepherds and their their hearts of of true worship. We can learn from the angels' declarations of, of the deity of baby Jesus. We can learn from the devotion of the wise men. But we worship Jesus and Jesus alone. He alone is worthy of worship we had a small group at the wallace's home on um on thursday night and carolyn has a wonderful collection of nativity scenes and uh but she shared that in them she's lost in a lot of them the figure of of baby jesus now i don't think that's carolyn's fault I, I i blame her kids and her grandkids they they've either been lost or or broken um and so i'm not passing any judgment on carolyn and her nativities um but it would seem isn't it that not just as a culture i don't want to just point a finger at, at the culture but but even within the church and, and sometimes even within our own homes that sometimes in, in the midst of Christmas we're, we're missing Jesus that, that the manger scene is all set and we know everything else but but we're missing the worship of Christ that we come become so focused on, on so many other things that we that we fail to realize that Jesus is is missing from our celebration of Christmas. But, but in the Christmas story, I mean every other character, every other player in that story is there surrounding. Jesus. He is the focal point. Jesus is the focus. Why? Because the baby that's sitting in the feeding trough is the Lord of all creation. Get that picture that, that, that he's there and he's, this, this helpless baby is, is held in, in his teenage mother's arms and he's provided for by this common carpenter. He's worshipped by all these outcast shepherds and he, and he's in the middle of a forgotten city in a forgotten corner of the earth and in a forgotten world that would rather forget about this baby, but He is God Himself. And God forbid that we would forget about Jesus, that we would end up worshiping something other than Jesus. I want to call you to worship, to bow down before Jesus, not simply as the baby in the manger, but as the exalted Lord of all creation. We should not treat Him just as any other adorable baby because he's not just like any other adorable adorable baby because the baby in the manger is the lord of all creation he is god himself so we worship because of who he is but secondly i think paul tells us we worship because of why he came because of why he came. This is in verses 18 through through 20. Paul continues to sing the praises of Jesus, but he moves from this meditation on the fact that Jesus is the Lord of creation to this meditation on the idea that, that he is the Lord of salvation. Because his entrance into the world is not some sort of publicity stunt. You know, I'm going to relate with the people, and so I'm going to come as a baby. No, he came with a purpose. He came with a goal. And he came to, to gather his children to himself and to make peace between God and man, you notice this in the text it says in verse eighteen he is the the head of the body, the church it's a great reminder I'm not the head of this church. Joel is not the head of this church, in any true church of God, man is not the head of it. God alone is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church he's the leader he's the goal he's the source of life for his people. How is he the source of life in him all day in um, verse eighteen, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead he's the source of life because he's the firstborn from the dead he's exalted as as above all things including death jesus sits above death because he conquered it that after three days dead in the tomb he rises again exalted above death itself and verses 19 through 20 tell us how he can be the head of the church of the people of god and be the lord over over death itself it's got two things here. Look at verses 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's the first. And then through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. These are two truths. Two of the most wonderful truths of Christianity and and two of the most mysterious truths of Christianity. Two of the hardest ones to wrap our minds around. And the first is that God becomes man. How can he be the, the head of the church? How can he be uh, resurrected from the dead and Lord over death, first of all, because He is God in the flesh, because He is God Himself. I want to read to you my favorite quote on the inc- Incarnation found in this book, Knowing God, by J.I. Packer. It's in his chapter called God Incarnate, and I read it every Christmas, and I'll probably read it to you every Christmas. I'm sure I've done it before. Uh, but he talks and he says at the beginning of this chapter, he says, It's no wonder that thoughtful people find the gospel of Jesus Christ hard to believe. He says, it's not a wonder, for the realities with which it deals pass our understanding. But it is sad that so many make faith harder than it need be by finding difficulties in the wrong places. So he talks about places that people have trouble with Christianity. They look at the atonement, the the death of Jesus on the cross. They they look at the resurrection. How could someone come back from the dead? People look at the virgin birth. How could a virgin give birth to a, a, a human baby? Or the gospel miracles. How does Jesus do all these things? This is what Packer says. He says, but in fact, the real difficulty, the supreme mystery with which the gospel confronts us does not lie here at all. It lies not in the Good Friday message of atonement nor in the Easter message of resurrection, but in the Christmas message of incarnation. I love this. The really staggering Christian claim is that Jesus of Nazareth was God-made man. That the second person of the Godhead became the second man, determining human destiny the second representative, head of the race, and that he took humanity without loss of deity, so that Jesus of Nazareth was truly and fully divine as he was human. That's the greatest mystery of Christianity, that, that Jesus actually was God in the flesh. So then he says this, Here are two mysteries for the price of one. The plurality of persons within the unity of God, so the trinity. And the union of the Godhead and manhood in the person of Jesus, so the fact that Jesus becomes man. It's here, in the thing that happened at the first Christmas, that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. The Word became flesh. God became man. The Divine Son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. And there was no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God was reality. Then this, the more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the Incarnation. He says, this is the real stumbling block of Christianity. If you can get to the place of saying, the baby born in Bethlehem is God, Doesn't everything else make sense? If he's God, can't he die and rise from the dead? If he's God, can't he do all the miracles that he does? If he's God, can't he be exalted and and ascend into heaven? If he's God, then he can do whatever he wants. And so this is the, the truth that makes these things the reality. That if he is God, then of course he can be head of the body. Of course he can rise from the dead and be Lord over death. Christmas is is the crux of the matter. Christmas is where we find, if we can accept this message, that that baby was God, then everything else makes sense. But it's a mystery. So the deity of Jesus makes all the other miracles poss- possible. If you accept that, then everything else is, is, is possible. But then this is the other mystery, the, the second truth here. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So if we accept this first reality, that Jesus, the baby in the manger, is God himself, it's not hard to believe that he rose from the dead. You know what's hard to believe? That he died. How is that possible? This is what Wesley says in his hymn. He says, "'Tis mystery all. The immortal, the one that cannot die, dies." How is that possible? It's a mystery. But the baby in the manger should always point us to the man on the cross because that is why he came. He was born to die. The angels show up and what do they say? They announce, peace on earth. And how is that peace accomplished? What does Paul say? Through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, how? By the blood of his cross. If he just shows up, As God, He does not accomplish salvation. He does not make peace between us just by showing up on earth. The way He makes peace is through the blood of His cross. Because though Jesus was the Lord of creation, He's God Himself, it's assumed here that there is this division, that something has caused a breach in the relationship. There is, there is separation, and the word there is, there's a need for Reconciliation. There needs to be reconciliation. It has to do with making peace between warring parties, right? So we need to have some, some peace. I, I often have to deal in reconciliation in my home. We need to have some peace, girls. Let's stop fighting. Christmas is a time where you're hanging out with people you don't normally hang out with, and sometimes it gets a little rough. There needs to be peace. There needs to be some some reconciliation. And this is true, the same is true for us in our relationship with God. In our sin, we are separated. This is how Isaiah 59.2 says, it says, But your iniquities, your sins, have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So Jesus comes, why? To bring reconciliation, to, to bridge the gap. To to bring together warring parties. Because of our sin, God is rightly and justly angry with our sin, and judgment is upon us. But He doesn't keep us that way. Jesus comes into this sinful world, and He is able to conquer sin and to conquer death. How? Because He alone is God, and therefore He alone is able to live the perfect life that we could never live. He, He never sins. Never sins. We've all sinned, but neither, Jesus never did. And because He's the sinless Son of God, He is, in fact, able to die for us. Because He doesn't have to die for His own sins. He's able to die for our sins. And because He's God, He can die for the sins of the whole world. He can die for the sins of you and me. If we will come, He, will, he has died for our sins. And His deity makes this all possible. And so because He is God in the flesh, and because He has made peace by the blood of the cross. Therefore, he can be the head of the church, and he can be the Lord of all creation. He begin, he can be the beginning. He has reconciled us to himself. Think about this, though. It, it says there, and through him to reconcile to himself, what? All things. It, it's not just us. That the blood of Jesus Christ, that 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 when He comes, He's actually bringing reconciliation to all things, because He's He's Lord of creation, and sin has so marred this world that that everything's messed up. I mean, creation itself is difficult. And, and what's the hope of that we read about last week? That that one day the the lion will lay with the lamb, and that that there's there's hope that that there will be no death throughout the the world, and so. There needs to be reconciliation for all things. This is what what Romans eight says. This is just let me just read this briefly to, to to contemplate. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first. I'm sorry, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. For not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That that Jesus coming and dying, he's actually bringing reconciliation to the whole world to everything that he's created and because of all this let me just say something about reconciliation i mentioned something about the holidays if jesus has come to bring reconciliation just put this in your mind as you go to family gatherings and maybe there's someone there that you don't see him but once a year you see him at christmas and it's hard be that person of reconciliation uh, isn't that part of what the message of Christmas is? That Jesus has come to make reconciliation, to make peace? Peace on earth? Be a person of peace. Be, be that person of peace in your family, e- even if they don't want to receive it, that you would be the one that causes reconciliation. That's just a side thought. But because he is Lord of creation, because he is Lord of, Lord of salvation, Paul gets to this point here. He says, at the end of verse 18, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus is to have preeminence, meaning he is to surpass everything else in our lives. He is to be exalted above everything else in our lives. Because he's the Lord of creation, he's the Lord of salvation, he is to have preeminence. Jesus is to be exalted over everything in this world and over everything in our lives. The the emphasis in this passage is on this idea of all. Just, Just walk through it with me one more time in verse 15. He, verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of what? All creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth. All things were created through him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He's the beginning, the first in that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Everything. He is, he is preeminent above everything. So why in the world do we think he shouldn't be preeminent over us? He, he's the Lord of all creation. He's made it all. He rides above it. He rides above death itself. He's the head of the church. Shouldn't he be the head of us? Shouldn't Christmas cause us to pause and say, if he really is God and if he is the Lord of creation, then I will give him first place over everything. I'll let him rule. I will I will bow the knee to him. I will worship him alone. He's the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of salvation. Is He Lord over me? Is He Lord over you? Is Jesus exalted oh, above everything and every person, above your own personal desires for success, above our spouses and our, our kids, above your dreams for your life? Is, is, is the glory of Jesus more important for you than your own personal dreams? Is He exalted above money and possessions, whatever Christmas gift you want? Do, is Jesus supreme and preeminent over that? Because that's what he's supposed to be. When we see who he is, when we see the beauty of who Jesus is, the Lord of creation, the Lord of salvation, then we will exalt him above everything else. Christmas is about is about worship. And it all hinges on who Jesus is. Because if he's just another baby, then we don't need to worship him. But the reality is that the baby in the manger is is God himself. He's, he's the Lord of all creation who has come into creation. And He came into creation to be the Lord of salvation, to bring reconciliation, to make peace between us and God. And so my heart for you this Christmas, my heart for me this Christmas, is that we would just take a moment and pause and adore Christ. Oh, come let us adore Him. Let us bow and worship. Let's follow the lead of, of, the, of the shepherds and, and the wise men, of Mary and Joseph, and see who He is and bow our hearts and even bow our knees in worship to Jesus. He alone is exalted. He alone is worthy of worship.